Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God. This is called Life to the Fool, lesson number two. Uh, last week we talked about it and just a quick review. We're talking about at this time of the year, the incarnation, which is the hypostatic union of deity and humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. Of course, Jesus standing for humanity, Christ standing for deity. Sometimes it's Jesus Christ, sometimes it's Christ Jesus. Uh, so remember, some people think that, well, it's Christ's last name. That's not his last name. That's not his last name. There are no last names in the Bible. Mary, and even we know about Simon the Tanner. No, that's not, it's not Simon Tanner. It's not Saul Tarsus. No. Now, praise God. All right. In John 10, 10, we are told, the thief comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So here we have a revelation of why the incarnation, the hypostatic union, deity and humanity. If man could do something about his own condition, there would have been no need to send Christ to do what he did about our condition. If man could save himself, there's no need for a savior, is there? So in the hypostatic union of deity and humanity in the person of Jesus Christ, he came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And there are many things he came to do. And we're singling out here right here what he says in this verse of scripture. And what is that? He's come to give us life to the full. And that more abundantly means life to the full. In every department of our being. Man's a tripart being. Spirit, soul, and body. So spiritually, he wants us to have life to the full. Emotionally, he wants us to have life to the full. Physically, he wants us to have life to the full. And what is that? How, how do we define that? The glory and power and majesty of the living God entering into a person's spirit. Flowing over into his soul, his mind, will, emotions, and intellect. Making its way into his physical body. As Paul said, I want resurrection life manifested in my flesh. If that's even possible. He wanted to live in that closeness with God. To manifest the glory of God, the power of God, the resurrection the life of God in and through his life. But then again, we've talked about the fact that there is an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't want us to experience life to the full in spirit or soul or body. And if you give your spirit to God, I guarantee he's still going to attack your soul, mind, will, emotions, and intellect. Get your mind renewed that the word of God is going to really hit hard on your physical body as well. To try to get you or me away from what the will of God is for our lives. So we have an enemy. So his desire is to see to it that he bombards us in every way he possibly can. Constantly. Why? To get us to faint in our minds. To give up. Become weary. Men ought always to pray and want faint not. In due season you're going to reap if you faint not. Become weary. Become weakened mentally. And once again, we face many challenges in this life. And of course, we know that the mind is the, is the battlefield. It's the battleground. And the mind is going to be attacked constantly, bombarded. Why? For us to be weakened in the way we think. That's his MO, attack the mind. Well, next we talked about strength to rise up and overcome these challenges are found in God. 
In Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 31, here's what we read. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord of the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not. God doesn't faint. Neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint. We could just rest right there for a while. He gives power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the use, age has no barrier here. Doesn't matter how old you are, you can, you can be weary. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But here's the key. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew or exchange their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. So how to not be weary, how to not faint is found where in God as we wait upon him. As we did here tonight, just waiting upon him, whether it's meditating in scripture, worshiping him like we did here tonight, we need to have the strength of God. Jesus didn't faint and become weary. Why? Because he was always in contact with his heavenly father. And so that's where we get our strength from. And so we talked about that. But then also we talked about what kind of receptacle are you? A receptacle, a container. Are you an I can container or an I can't container? What kind of receptacle? Are you going to receive good things in your ears and to your heart? Or are we going to receive negative and bad things? We call that garbage. That's the garbage can. I'd rather be an I can than a garbage can. What about you? And we talked about how I can do all things through Christ who is my strength or who strengthens me, right? I, it's, I, I, it's personal. Can, it's something I can do, it's positive. Do, it's practical, it's something I can do. All things, it's pervasive, doesn't matter what it is, I could do it through Christ, right? It's providential, through him that does what? Infuses his strength into my being. So the question is, why would we want to try to do it in our own strength and ability when we can tap into his and receive from him his power, his strength, his ability? Now, as we continue our study, look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. This is the New Living Translation of the Bible. God wants us all to have life to the full, but it's a challenge for us to experience life to the full in spirit, soul, and in body because we have an adversary who wants to stop that from happening. He targets the mind to get us to weary and faint in well-doing so that we don't reap in due season. And so he wants us to faint. He wants us to become weary. As we pray and wait upon the Lord, we exchange strength with him. Now notice this. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining light, bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Notice, he says, do everything you do without what? Complaining. You know, complaining can prevent us from experiencing the quality of life that God wants us to have. And you realize the enemy will focus our attention on anything and everything to get us to complain about what is going on. And he wants us to do that because he understands and knows it can really prevent us from experiencing the quality of life that Jesus provided for us. As a matter of fact, God doesn't like complaining. We see in scripture all the time that he's opposed to it. As a matter of fact, he judges it. And to be honest with you, he judges it harshly. Harshly. 
We're going to look at some verses of Scripture that reveal to us the fact that he does judge complaining harshly. Why? So we avoid it. One way to enter into something is to learn how to get into it by doing things, stopping the things that prevent us from entering into it. So complaining will stop or prevent us from entering into the quality of life that God wants us to have. So let's start with one. In the book of Numbers, these are different examples in the book of Numbers. I have listed here a few, the complaint, the sin, and then the result. So look at Numbers chapter 11 and verse 1. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. Enough said, wouldn't you say? And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. What was the, sin? What was the complaint? If you studied around these scriptures before and after, life was just too hard. Life was just too hard. Have you ever said that? Life is just too hard. It's too difficult. The things I'm going through right now, this is hard. This is difficult, etc., etc. With that kind of a mentality and attitude, and we hear it all the time from people. They're uh, not happy with what they have to go through in life. Or maybe the, let's say the hand that they were dealt. So they complain. What's the complaint? Life's too hard. What's the sin? Complaining instead of believing God. Instead of believing God, just complain about it. What was the result? The fire of the Lord went out before them, and many of them were consumed. Sometimes we read these scriptures over, we just kind of read fast through them. I like to sit back and just think about that for a while. Can you imagine that? The fire of the Lord went out. Number one, it would have to be something that they were doing often. It had to bring judgment because, you see, judgment doesn't fall immediately. God would rather have mercy than judgment. But they must have done it over and over. And it must have been a lifestyle of complaining and complaining and complaining. You know anybody that's always complaining? Complaining, 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 complaining. Until mm. finally one day, whew, the fire of the Lord went out and many of the people died. That wasn't the quality of life that God wanted them to have, was it? I don't think so. Look at the next one, 11.4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? What was the complaint? There was no flesh to eat. What was the sin? They lusted for what they didn't have. So here they are, not appreciating what they have, but lusting after something that they don't have. And again, not all the verses are here, but what was the result? Many of them died. If you read Psalm 78, it'll tell you there, even among them, those that lusted the most had the food going in their mouth and they died. So once again, we see a harsh judgment for those that complained about things. Too hard as far as life is concerned. Not enough meat or no meat. We're not pleased with the food that we have, but let's remember this too along the way. They didn't believe God to do what he said he would do for them. There was a promised land that was filled with, you can read this in scripture, I think, pizza, pepperoni, pasta, big grapes, right? It awaited them, steak dinners, seafood, 
In the promised land, he said, there's a land that flows with milk and honey and there's every good thing in it that you could possibly have. That represents life to the full. You can be filled to overflowing spiritually, emotionally, physically, as, relationally, and financially in every way possible. So stay fixed and focused on that. But no, you've got to complain that there's no flesh here to eat. Judgment falls upon them and they die. Look at the next one, chapter 14. Once again, they're journeying journeying through the promise, uh, through the wilderness to get to the promised land. They have a promise that God gave them of a life that's filled with all good things, the fullness of life, spirit, soul, and body. All the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night, and the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness, and wherefore hath the Lord brought us into the land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey were it not better for us to return to Egypt and they said one to another let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt what was their problem there were giants in the land and the spies that went out to spy out the land brought back an evil report saying they're too big for us to handle so the problem is that what was the sin they rebelled against the leaders. They refused to believe God. And we are told in Hebrews chapter 4, it was the sin of unbelief. God said, I will send my angel before you to get you into the promised land. Now, there's going to be some things along the way that you're going to have to go through. But obey his voice. Do not speak out against him. Follow his lead. He's going to get you in there and drive out all the inhabitants of the land. But no, they couldn't believe that. So they complained about it. They murmured about it. And said, you brought us out here. God, you brought us out to die. This is an indictment against God and his will for their lives. And if all we can see is the negative side of things, what we're going through right now, we have no vision to see the future that lies ahead of us that he had for them that was a wonderful future. We'll fall victim to the enemy. We'll start to faint in our minds, complain about what we're going through, and then we won't have the strength power or ability or the resources to get to where God wants us to be. We got to cooperate and do our part. God will do his if we do ours. So what happened? They rebelled against the leaders. And what happened? Because they refused to believe. You know what, it, what happened. They were denied entrance into the promised land and they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. You think they experienced the quality of life that God had for them those 40 years in the wilderness? Not at all. Their eyes could see the promised land. You know, it's just like standing on the outside of a bakery window, looking inside and seeing all the goodies that are therein. But you can't have any. You can't touch them. Mm -mm. So, th that was their judgment. Look at chapter 16 and verse 3. Complaining we're talking about will keep us from experiencing the fullness of life that God has for us. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. What was the um, complaint? They're challenging the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Who in the world made you ruler over us? Anyone in this group among us to take a leadership role. We're just as holy as you are. Who do you think you are? Better than we are? What's the complaint? Uh, what's the sin rather? Jealousy. They were greedy for power. That's what they wanted. How many of you know that that doesn't go over good with God? He orchestrates. 
who's in positions of power. Not us. He anoints kings, priests, etc. He calls those that are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. He anoints those with certain gifts and so on. He imparts all these things. The church, the body of Christ belongs to him. He's the head of it all. Anyone that walks with any kind of authority or position is because they've been called, anointed, and appointed by God to be in that position. We can't complain about someone else's gift and should never do that. Well, what happened to these people? Hmm. Wasn't good. The earth swallowed them up. How about that one? Swallowed up. Not good. Look at chapter 16 and verse 41. Here we have, well, let's read it. But on the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. You did it. And they're complaining about, once again, them, accusing them. So what is the sin? False accusations that they were making. What takes place? 14,700 people die as a result of their complaining about Moses and really if they would have had their eye, their hearts right they would have known that that was a result of sin Moses had nothing to do with it Aaron had nothing to do with it it was a rebellion against God and his leadership look at the next one numbers chapter 20 and verse 12 and this we're talking about entering into a place where we can have the fullness of life in spirit soul and body in every department of our being these are some of the things that, were, that kept them out because of their complaining about what they were experiencing right at the moment, having no vision to see beyond the now to the future, knowing that God had something even better for them. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. You recall the story they were in need of water, and God told him to, to do what? Speak to the rock. The first time he said to strike the rock once. This time he says to speak to the rock. What do they do? What does Moses do? Instead of doing what God said to do, he smites the rock twice or a second time. Well, what is the problem here? What's the complaining? There's no water to drink. What's the sin? They disobeyed instructions. They did it their way and not God's way. What was the end result of that? They were denied. Moses and Aaron were denied the right to enter into the promised land by taking the children of Israel in. So therefore, their lives were cut short. Did they experience the fullness of life that God had for them in spirit, soul, and body? No, not at all. Was it God's fault? No. Whose fault was it? Theirs for not following the instructions. Well, how does that speak to our hearts? Do we have a part to play in experiencing the fullness of the blessings of God in our lives? We already have them legally ours but to experience them we've got to cooperate with God and do things his way they didn't do it look at the last one here uh, chapter 21 and verse 5 and the people spake against God and against Moses notice those two things they spoke against God and against Moses wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness for there is no bread neither is there any water and our soul loatheth this light bread. Now you're picking a fight with God. He just got done baking. 
The bread was done. It was sent down from heaven. Heavenly manna. Now you're criticizing his cooking skills. Or his baking skills. Right? They spoke against God. And they spoke against Moses. Not a good thing to do. If you think about it. Sometimes you'll hear people say, why is God doing this to me? Basically making him responsible for things that he does not do or never did. Why is God not doing this for me? And you know what? He has done something, but they fail to see that. So what is the result? They complain. Complain about either God making it too hard, too difficult, God not providing what they need, and so on. So the complaint is there. Here they're complaining about the manna. And they're complaining about having no bread. They're accusing God and Moses. And they're basically speaking out against them. And what is the result? Not a good one. Read through the whole chapter. The first nine verses of that chapter. And what is the result? Serpents begin to bite them. Get bitten by serpents and they begin to die. And here's the key. They're complaining in this journey. This trek from the land of Egypt into the promised land. All the way through there, all they do is complain about this, that, and the other thing. Life is too hard. We don't have enough food. We don't have enough water. We have this. We have that problem. Whatever. There's leaders that you gave us. We're better than they are, etc., etc. They want authority. They want power. Complaining, 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 complaining. And they're judged by God for their complaining. Now, while they're traveling through the wilderness, those serpents that were there that bit them and they began to die were still there the whole time. It wasn't they were just manufactured at that moment. They were there. But God's hand of protection was upon them. And he was protecting them from the serpent's bite. You take two and a half to three million people in, in a desert, in a wilderness like that. Someone's bound to get bit by a serpent. But God defended them. God protected them. He kept all those serpents away from that company of believers that were there. Because those, they were, they were his people. They were his own. And he says, I will be your shield. I will be your buckler. I'll be your exceeding great reward. I'll defend you. I'll fight for you. I'll protect you. My hand will be upon you. They had the fire by day, cloud by day. They had the fire by night. They had protective angels to keep them from the Egyptians and so on. And even they could travel at night because he provided a light for them. But he was there for them the whole time. But because they began to complain and complain and complain and complain about everything, he says, Okay, you want to blame me for your problem? He removes his hand of protection. All of a sudden, all the serpents start coming. Judgment fell upon them. You want to blame me? You want to accuse me? You want to accuse Moses? Can't you see the blessing that's right there before your very eyes? Complaining about all this stuff, but yet there it is. I'm providing for you food, water. Your clothes are growing on your body. Look, you don't have any needs I haven't been providing for. And as far as protection is concerned, these serpents were among you the whole time. But they never touched you. They never bothered you. But now that my, you complain, my hand is removed. They got bit by serpents. They began to die. Many of them began to die. What did they do? They cried out to God, help. And now all of a sudden their tune changes. Crying out to God for help, help, help. He says, Moses, they, they appeal to Moses. He says, what do you want me to do? He, Moses appeals to God. God says, look. They got a part to play in this. They want delivered from that. I'm put a serpent on a pole. You put that serpent up there on that pole. When they get bit, you have them look up. If they look down, they die. If they look up, they live. They look at the symptoms, they die. They look at the solution, they live. 
And they had to look at it with a steady absorbing gaze. Anyone who looks with a steady absorbing gaze, absorb this. We still have that emblem, the serpent on a pole. Medical science has that emblem, the serpent on a pole. That's where they get it from. Right there. And what does it represent? Christ dying on the cross, becoming our sin, sickness, and disease. He became the curse for us, the mental anguish for us. He bore it all for us. And here we have an example, a type, Jesus being the antitype. But here's the type of Christ dying on Calvary's cross. And when we get bit, he says, you look up there with a steady, absorbing gaze, a steadfast look at who he is and what he's done for you on that cross. Jesus, you became, the, you know why he wants us to look at it? He wants us to never forget the cost of sin, the price that was paid to redeem us from our fallen state. Keep looking at it and looking at it and looking at it and looking at it and appreciate that sacrifice that Jesus made for all of us until we conform to it, till we bow to it. So he said, look, it's up to you if you want to live. You want to live? Then stop looking at your symptoms. Start looking at the solution and look at him until you absorb what he's done and let it become a reality in your life. So that's exactly what it is. So what was the, the problem? Manna. What did they do? Spoke against God and Moses. And what was the situation that it resulted in? Serpents killed them needlessly. See, they weren't counting the blessings that they already had. Now, let's shift over. Because these didn't experience the fullness of life in spirit, soul, and body. But others did. And this is the attitude that we have to maintain. Look at Numbers chapter 13. And I think you know a man named Caleb. Anybody here know Caleb? Caleb. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. To still means to silence. It means to calm down. It means for them to subdue their feelings and emotions. They were all up in a frenzy. These leaders came back and they're telling the people, we can't do it. We can't get into the promised land. There's no way we're going to experience this fullness of life. Even though it looks good, it's appealing to all of us. We're never going to have it happen because there are giants in the land. We're grasshoppers in our sight and in their sight and they know it. So there's no way that we can do it. And while all this ruckus is taking place, what does Caleb come along and do? Shh, hush, silence. Stop listening to all that negativity. Stop spewing that negativity out of your mouth. Be still. Calm down. Look at Psalm 46 in verse 10. Be still and know. Know what? That I am God. And I will be exalted among the heathen. I'll be exalted in the earth. There comes a time when this rat race that we're living in tries to really get a hold of us and dominate our lives. You know that as well as I do. Every single day we have all these challenges. Giants that are in the land, these giants that are there represent emotional conditions that we all encounter. Discouragement, fear, worry, slow self-esteem, all those main names of giants, that's what they mean. Compromise, it's all there. The giants, they were literal giants for them, but for us, they are mental or emotional giants for us that we face. That's what they represent. And he stilled the people. He said, subdue your emotional feelings. Subdue the way you're thinking. Bring it under your control. Stop yielding your thought life to what the enemy wants you to think. And the reality of it is this. Those giants had already conceded the land to the people of God. 
All they had to do was just show up and enter in. That's all they had to do. But fear, which is another one, kept them out. Kept them out. Unbelief, fear, kept them out of the promised land. Well, Caleb says, look, stop it. Stop it. When the devil, the world, and the flesh hurl our way, all these thoughts of negativity and defeat or compromise or fear or low self-esteem or whatever all those emotional feelings are, we have two choices. We could be a garbage can or we can be an eye can. Don't let the devil garbage or the world of the flesh garbage up your can with his thoughts. And that's exactly what Caleb tried to do. Steal the people. Stop it. Stop thinking the way you're thinking. And then he adds this to it. We are well able. We are well able. Say it with me. I am well able. Now he knows this. It's not in his own strength or ability. I am well able in God. The word able there means it has, you have your uh, resources, power, the skill, the mindset, the intelligence, whatever you need, you're able. Why? Because our resources are not in ourselves. Our resources are in our God. He'll provide the resources that we need. He'll be the one to get us in. So whatever it is we need to accomplish, he'll provide the strength, the ability, the resources, the skill, the power to get us in to what we have to you know, get into. He'll do it. He'll provide that for us. But it's up to us to do exactly what Caleb said to do. Stop it. Stop that rambling mind that's going a thousand miles an hour telling you that you can't do it. It's not possible that you can do it. These problems you're facing are too big. The giants are just too strong, etc., etc., etc. And then you stop right there and just say, I'm well able. I'm well able to do all things through Christ who is the strength of my life. And what does that do? Opens up the door to the ability of God. Look, if God's hand of judgment, if his hand of protection is removed and judgment falls, well, what about the opposite? When you and I agree with the word of God and declare what the word of God says to be true and we decree it in our lives, we proclaim it in our lives, the hand of God lies heavy upon those people to make good the promises that he made. He provides the resources, the strength, the ability, the power, the skill to get the job done. And that's his part and he'll do his part. So Caleb knew that God was on his side and that he would enable him to get in. But look at the next one in chapter 14 and verse 8. This is Joshua now. This is the right attitude. He says, God will bring us in and God will give it to us. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Look, he said he'll get us in, but you know how we say it? We're in. In Christ, we've been brought into the promised land. In Christ, we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. In life, I mean, in Christ, everything for fullness of life belongs to us. We have it right now. It's just a matter of, once again, getting it from the inside to the outside of us. How? By the declaration of our faith, by having our mind renewed, by cooperating with God, we agree with God, it will come to pass. But it's up to us to do our part. So he knew it, and he says, look, God has already made provision for us. Now don't rebel against him. What does he mean by rebel? 
to oppose him, resist him, to go against him. Don't oppose him in any way. How do we oppose him? Just the way they did in the wilderness. Look, the giants are too big. We can't do it. That opposes God. That's resisting God. That's standing against God. I know the situation looks like it's an insurmountable mountain, but we should view it as a, an opportunity for God to move on our behalf. Once again, it's the way we see it. It's an I can or I can't mentality. I can do it through Christ. I can't do it in my own strength or ability, but I can do it through Christ. And praise God, he's more than enough to get me in. He's already provided for me all the resources that I need. And that's exactly what he's saying. But don't rebel against God. Don't resist God. Don't stand against God. Because if you do that, my goodness, who can fight against God? You want God on your side. You don't want to be against them. Notice the next part. Neither fear ye the people. Don't be afraid of the people. Why? Their defense has departed from them. Their ability, in other words, to protect themselves is not just minimized. It is absolutely, positively gone. And you know, that's confirmed in the book of Joshua. It was confirmed that everyone's heart melted within them and their defense departed from them. It was absolutely gone from them. They conceded the land. All they had to do is walk in and lay claim to it. Well, beloved, that's all we need to do is lay claim to what belongs to us in Christ. It's ours already. It's ours right now. But it's up to us to have this kind of mentality. That I am not going to be kept out of the fullness of life because of fear, worry, anxiety, uh, doubt, unbelief, or anything else that the enemy would try to muster up and cause me to be dominated with. Whether it's low self-esteem, guilt, condemnation, we, the list goes on and on. I, inferiority, sin consciousness, I am not going to allow those emotional feelings and forces keep me from my promised land from experiencing the fullness of life that God has provided for me. As a matter of fact, this is what our verse should be, Romans 8.31. What shall we say to all these things, to these things? Well, if God be for us, who can be against us? If God is on my side, hallelujah, then who can be against us? Anyone? Anything? Any force? Any power? No. God's for us. God's on our side. So praise God, who can be against us? Now, this next section, look at Numbers 14 and verse 11, because this is really important to all of us. God asked two important questions here. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have showed among them. How long? Provoke means to deliberately annoy or make me angry. Okay, this has been going on for a long time. How much longer? How long are they going to continue to annoy me and anger me by their complaining? How long? Once again, complain 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 he was annoyed by it he was angered by it didn't make him happy at all and so he calls out how long is this going to be wow now believe means to accept what god said as being true how long will they believe until they believe me was the second question how long will it take for them to believe me we can ask ourselves the same question. How long? 
How much longer am I going to continue complaining about what I'm going through in this life? And I'm, how long am I going to continue angering God by doing so? But then, how long will it take for me to get to a place to say, I- I'm just going to believe? You know what? Believe once again. What am I believing? That what God said is true. I've got to believe that what God said is true. Well, what did he say to them? Look, I've got a place where you can experience the fullness of life. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, and in every realm of life and living. Financially, relationally, etc., etc. It's the promised land. It's the what land? Who made the promise? Who did he make it to? Abraham. The promise was made to Abraham. And his seed were the promise made. A land that flows with milk and honey. A land that has everything in it. This is my desire for you. This is my will for you. You know what they say? You brought us out here to die. There's no food. There's no water. There's no this. There's no that. No, I didn't. I brought you out there to live. You need to get from here to there. But to get from here to there, there's going to be some wilderness in the middle. For every promise and the fulfillment of that promise, there is a wilderness. Here's a promise. Here's a fulfillment of the promise. And there's a wilderness in between. And the way we act in the wilderness will determine whether or not we enter into the fullness of the promise. So it's up to us to do our part to get from the promise to its fulfillment by doing what? Not complaining. That's not going to do it. If we complain, we'll be denied the fullness of life that God has for us. But if we focus our attention on what he said and just say, God, I believe you. Now look, it's okay to say there's giants in the land. That wasn't the, that wasn't the issue with God. You can say there's giants in the land. There's mountains to climb or go through. There's trees to uproot. There's all kind of difficulties along the way. There's these religious folk, the Judaizers and all that, that want to prevent us from entering into our fullness and rights. But you know what? God's bigger. That's okay Caleb didn't deny that there were giants in the land. He didn't deny that there were walled cities in the land. But he did say this. We're well able to do it. God's on our side. What are walls to God? What are giants to God? How big or how small is your God? In other words, he is saying to them. So we shouldn't have that kind of mentality that they had. No, no, no. No, he said, look, we're well able to take the land. So how long will they provoke me and annoy me and anger me? How long before they will finally decide, you know what? Hey, let's throw caution to the wind. Let's believe God. Let's trust God. How long, he said, will, will it take for them to get to the place where they will actually believe me? Because you know what? God wants us to believe him. God wants us to trust him. He wants us to understand he is a God of integrity who makes promises that are never, ever broken. There will never be a flood on this earth ever again that will wipe out humanity because he made a promise to Noah. Did he not? Can he change his mind on that promise? Absolutely not. No matter how angry he is, how furious he is, he cannot and will not break or breach his promise. When he made a promise to Abraham, could he break it? Absolutely not. Did they get in the promised land? They sure did. But guess what? There was a group that didn't. Why? Not because of God, but because of them. They broke the covenant with God. They didn't get in. They provoked him. They annoyed him. They angered him by what? They're complaining every step along the way. Look, life is not easy. Life has a lot of challenges. 
There's a lot of difficulties to face in life. And the day in which we live, it's just absolutely crazy anymore. I mean, we got people going around the world that don't even know who they are, what their identity is. It's true. Absolutely. But society wants to accept that instead of help the people understand who they are. And that's what's needed. Okay, so how long until they believe me? Listen to this. The latter part of the verse says, even though all the signs that I showed them. Now, that really struck with me. They provoked God. They weren't believing God. And he said, all the signs. What is a sign? Look at Isaiah 38, 8. It's an object, event, or entity that indicates something or verifies something. This is a sign. You remember this sign right here when the king was told that he's going to die? Isaiah told the king, Hezekiah, get your house in order because today you die. How would you like that? The prophet coming over to your house, your kingdom, knocking on your door and saying, get your house in order because today you die. Wow. I guess he was courteous enough to say, get your house in order, right? And Isaiah leaves, and he begins to go to the courtyard, and the king turns his face to the wall, away from every other resource for help. And he weeps before the Lord, and the Lord sees his, repent, his heart that's repented. He's repented for his misconduct or whatever he did, his displeasure toward God. And the Lord speaks to Isaiah and says, go back. Go back and tell him, I've seen his tears. I will add 15 years to his life. 15 more years to his life. He goes back and tells him. He says, and the Lord wants you to know that he's doing it. Because I'll tell you what. He's going to give you a choice. So that you know you can either have the shadow of the sundown go back or forward 10 degrees. He says, well, what is it for it to go forward 10 degrees? That's nothing. But for it to go backwards is absolutely everything. And so what is a sign? Something that verifies something to be true. Remember the Jews wanted a sign and Jesus said, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. Three days and then up from the grave and you'll see me alive again. That'll be your sign. Isn't it something they still can't believe with that sign? I can't think of a better sign or a bigger sign for anyone to believe. But right here, the sign is this. The shadow on the sundial will go back 10 degrees. You know what that means? The universe stops and reverses. Would you call that a sign? A big sign? And it wasn't, it wasn't you know, camera trickery. We didn't have, uh, you know, television stations there using their tricks and to do all this. I mean, can you imagine even being on the planet when that happened? Every time I, well, I'm going to confess something about myself. Every time I talk about this and I'm thinking about, okay, the, it's rotating on its axis and all of a sudden it stops and it goes back in time. I think about that one Superman. When he goes whew, the opposite direction and all of a sudden, you've got to save Lois. Lois Lane needs to be saved, right? She died. Remember? She died. And he couldn't have it. And so what does he do? He's Superman. 
Let me tell you something right now. The real Superman just said, go back 10 degrees. He didn't even work up a sweat. And the whole earth turned backwards. <laughs> 10 degrees, the shadow went backwards. Now I know. Well, guess what? We know because he's alive from the dead. The greatest sign ever given to humanity that he would back up every word of promise. Every, and we're the heirs of promise, remember. Anything and everything he's ever spoke or said from his mouth is absolutely, positively true. How long will it take for people to stop provoking God and start believing God for all the signs that he gave us? Start walking in the fullness of our redemption, the fullness of life. I am born of the Spirit. I am washed in the blood. I'm an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus, and we're made more than conquerors. Inside, we have the very life of God, the nature of God, the ability of God, and we have, praise God, all things that pertain to life. All things that pertain to life and godliness. And we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is my declaration of faith. That's what God wants me to say, praise God, in the midst of every challenge. Emotionally, we, we renew our minds to the Word of God. He restores our soul. We begin to really understand that this is the promise that God made for me. I, ha I have the right to enter into the fullness of what belongs to me. And if I'm not experiencing it right now, then praise God, let's get our minds renewed and start believing and declaring and decreeing and proclaiming it. Amen? Amen. And we can break through all the enemy hurls our way. The devil, the word, and the flesh. Don't give the devil as much, any more credit than he deserves. He doesn't deserve any credit. But all three forces coming against us to keep us either provoking God or complaining in such a way that we deny ourselves the fullness of what he has provided for us. So a sign, a wonder, he's already provided for all of us. And you know what? All he wants us to do is proclaim it. He verified it by raising up his son from the dead. And it all belongs to every single one of us. All we have to do is agree to it, believe it, act upon it. Are not his angels ministering spirits sent forth to minister for us who are the heirs of salvation? Are, he not, are they not all around us right now here in this place and ready and willing to do whatever it is that the Father has set them to do? And you know what? All they're waiting for is us to agree with what God said. Father, thank you for holy angels. Everywhere we go, surrounding us, helping us, empowering us, whatever they need to do to protect us. Thank God they're around this building right now. Thank God they're around our cars as we travel. Thank God the Mount Guard around our schools where our children are. You see, thank God there's others that will be protected by them, but our children are there. And therefore, because our children are there, they are there. And we activate them by asking the Father, by just saying, Father, thank you for releasing your angels. Or just proclaiming the word. Angels have charge over us to keep us safe in all of our ways. They bear us up in our hands as we dash our foot against a stone. And we declare it. We proclaim it. We believe it. How long will it take for us to believe that they're there? Amen. Let's all stand together before the Lord. Because I have another sermon rising up in me.